So as we're coming out of Thanksgiving and into Advent, this whole season is really characterized by family. Um, many of you may have seen extended family that you hadn't seen recently. Uh, we travel to see them. We spend time together. We sit and have meals, and we eat, and we eat, and we eat. Uh, we do the whole cook for 12 hours and eat for 20 minutes thing. Uh, and it seems ridiculous, but it's totally worth it in the end. Um, we play games. We watch games together. Uh, I had the great idea on this Thanksgiving to challenge the boys to a pull-up competition that spanned the entire day. And I thought, I'm in the prime of my life. It's an easy win for me. And about halfway through the day, I definitely pulled something in my arm. And uh, I'm obviously past my peak, I guess. I don't know. Um, we also love to see generations of people come together. We had four generations uh, at our house, and uh, that's such a cool thing to see when we see grandparents and great-grandparents and uh, maybe even great-great-grandparents and the wisdom that's been passed down through the ages. Um, it's really cool to see. And we actually see that that is the normal means through which the gospel of Jesus has been passed down through the ages from generation to generation. See, God works through families. He works through generations. Richard Baxter, a uh, church leader in the 17th century, said that family reformation is the easiest and likely way to a common reformation. God works through families. So today, this is what we're going to be looking at and what I will be referring to as generational discipleship. And what I mean by that is purposeful living for the discipling of the next generation. Purposeful living for the discipling of the next generation. But when you do a one-off sermon like this, we finished Ecclesiastes last week. We're going into Advent next week. Uh, you don't really have the weeks to build this. So just kind of build this context, the context of this, and um, this idea I'd like to look at a few passages, take a couple of minutes here to look at these and give weight to this idea of generational discipleship. But we really do see it throughout the Bible. We see often uh, people referring to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and going through these genealogies. So real quickly, let's look at 1 Joshua 24, 15. It says, and if it is evil, in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father saved in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then in Luke it says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And finally in Acts it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, you and your household. We said that it's always meant to be for more than just yourself. It's meant to be passed on from generation to generation. And maybe many of you have seen this in your life, in your family, as I have mine. When the gospel enters a household, it often permeates it and all who are in it. It changes everything about it. It changes the structure, the desires, the people in it. 
We should want this for ourselves. We should want this for our family and our church body, our family church body. We should want this for our world. We should strive to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yet what we are seeing in our culture might be the opposite of that. A Varna study showed that 66% of kids leaving high school leave the church. And that the percentage of Protestant affiliation in the U.S. has dropped to under 50%. So how does this happen? We're told to train our kids in the Lord. We're told to ourselves be, to be disciples of the Lord. So instead, we see the opposite. So how do we change that? Especially as a church here who cares about discipleship, who cares about truth, how do we counter this? How are we called to disciple ourselves and those around us? Into the love of God that lasts for generations. To find our answer, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6 today. And in that, I believe we see three main ways that this can be accomplished. So let's turn there, Deuteronomy 6. We'll be starting in the first nine verses, and then we'll move on after that. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 through 9, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so there's a lot in this chapter and we know that it's speaking to the nation of Israel. But how does this apply to us today? So Moses is speaking to the nation, and he's instructing them how to organize their lives in such a way that may result in not only personal discipleship, but also family generational discipleship. One that will keep this nation going for years. These commands, it says, are for you, your sons, and your sons' sons. But before it can be for your sons or your sons' sons, it has to be for me and for you. It has to start with us. This means it applies to all of us no matter what stage of life you're in because we need to first meet daily with God to discipline ourselves before him. 
to grow in our knowledge and instruction of him. And it applies because we're a part of a church body and a church family here that needs your help as well to grow in the knowledge of God. So first off, if we are to be serious about generational discipleship, we must lead by example as we live out the gospel in everyday life. We must lead by example as we live out the gospel in everyday life. So if we're going to see God glorified in our households, in our church, in our world, the word of God must first change us. The commandments are for us individually first, right? We must know God to be able to teach about God. We must know it first. We must fear the Lord and do his commandments. And that's why in verse 1 it says that you may do them. Not just know them, but that you may do them. We are in covenant with God as Israel was. We are new covenant believers. We are citizens of his kingdom. We have been bought with a price. We have been taken out of the land of slavery and into a new land. And we're called to live as followers of Jesus in that land. But how, how do we do so? How do we live this kind of life? It's summarized here in a simple commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Verse 4 and 5. Jesus states the same command in Mark. He says, heart, soul, mind, and strength. This means your whole being, not just part of your life. Nothing is left out of it. We must love the Lord Jesus to have a regenerated soul. Believe on him. And this gives us a new heart, that of Christ, through which we respond and we act out of. And this gives us new desires and it changes the way we act and the things we build with our might. We are new creation. We have new creatures created in Christ Jesus. New in heart, new in soul, and new in might. You see that truly this is all-consuming. How much of your life is to be changed by God? Heart, soul, and might, all of it. How often is your life to be changed by God. Verse 7, sitting, walking, lying, rising, all of the time. For how long is your life to be changed by God? Verse 2, all the days of your life, forever. All of your life, all of the time, forever. And this is truly in stark contrast to the nations at the time. They were a polytheistic nation, many around them were. They believed in the plurality of gods. They would get sacrifices and offerings to their gods. But the thing is, their gods didn't talk back. Their gods didn't give them commandments and promises to live by and to believe in and to put their hope in. So to have the one true God who demanded all-consuming worship one that touched every area of their life, was very different. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we see this is much like today. We live in a world of gods and a culture of idols, don't we? And if the world doesn't produce them, 
as John Calvin famously noted, our hearts will. Our hearts are a factory of idols. But there is one God, he is the Lord, and it is in accord with him that we are to align our lives, our lives and our hearts. All of it, all of the time, forever. And this is how we must teach our families. This is how we must teach the next generation. To see the difference between the one true God and the gods of this world. We must teach them to know the difference, to note it and see it. How do we navigate the world and the culture of idols and the news and the conflict? We teach them to take the word of God and to bind it as a sign and to use it as frontlets between their eyes. To use the Bible as the lens through which we see the world. To not be influenced by the culture and, and what the society pushes because, you see, cultures, they come and go, and nations, they rise and fall. But we stand on the one steadfast word of God, the unchanging word of God. And that's why we can pass it on from generation to generation, because it doesn't change. It is the same truth today and tomorrow and forever. We can still read this written so many years ago and know that. This truth stands. One of the first things you notice as you have kids is that they really begin to speak and walk and grow and act like you. They, they imitate your mannerisms. They start doing things that you say, that is your son, not mine. That is your kid, right? Why? Because they watch how we live and they learn from it. They notice things that we don't even know that they're noticing. So we realize this, and we act accordingly. Your spouse, your kids, your extended family members, they know you and they see you. You don't only disciple by sitting down and teaching. You also disciple by living out life in front of them. That's why we have to lead by example. It says when you walk by the way, we lead by example. We show those around us and those under our influence. And along the way, we teach them how to do so. When we see something that is wrong in the world, we point it out and we declare it as so. See, the world is always preaching a message, and we have to always be proactively combating that. Because that message, if we don't, we will believe. Not only our kids, but we will believe it if we're not ourselves combating it in our own lives. And this is what we see happening in verse 14 if we skip ahead there. It says, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. The nations have their gods, yet we teach you do not go after those things. We have the one true living God. And when we see the gods of the world, we say, yes, I did see the way that person was speaking. But we don't speak that way. Because the Lord, our God, has commanded us 
to not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Yes, I did see the way that that person was dressed, but no, we don't dress like that because the Lord our God has called us to live and to dress a certain way. We see it and we call it out. And, and kids, your job, your job, kids, is to see how your parents, your elders are living and to walk accordingly because God's commandments are for you as well. They can often feel higher and for the adults, but God's commandments are for you, for you to walk in as well. So as we go through life, our families need us to teach them what's wrong as we see it in the world and to teach them to live in communion with God in contrast to it. And in doing so, it not only brings them up in the discipline of the Lord, but it reminds us as well. And it brings us up in it as well. And again, this this applies across the board because we have people around us. We have friends, we have neighbors, we have coworkers. They need these truths. These, These commandments are for them as well. So take them and do them before a watching world. But we must not only lead by example, because if we're going to be serious about generational discipleship, then we must sit with, learn from, and teach the words of God. We must lead by example. We must walk in these commandments because they are first for us, but next, you must teach them and pass them on because they are not only for you. And that's what we see in verses 6 and 7. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You should teach them diligently because it's not just for you. It's for your sons and your sons' sons. We live in a world of individualism and personal truth and we must not take on that mindset because that is absent from the Bible. We don't just simply let our kids make up their own minds on what they could possibly believe. If we know we have the truth, then we must teach it and pass it on. Because it's not just for us. It's not just a personal truth. This is truth throughout all of history. So not only do we walk in it, but we are called to daily sit with the scriptures, to read them, to study them, and we're called to do so with others as well. And the reason why this is more fully applied within the household is because you may not get as many opportunities to sit with and talk to your neighbors about it. And when you get those, take them and do it. But we have a daily opportunity to do so with those under our household. So we must take it. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
the discipline there. That word means the whole training and education of. And then in Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train them up in the commandments and statutes of God. Now, is this passage, is this saying that our kids or our spouses are automatically saved through us? No, of course not. This is not a 100% guarantee or your money back, but this is giving us the norm. Do this, and this is the natural outcome of it. This happens by us first loving the Lord with our hearts, our souls, our mights, and then letting that take root in our homes and letting the saving grace and work of God felt and seen throughout all who are in it. The gospel preached daily in our homes. They must be taught just as we must be taught. And that's why we gather as a church family, because we need to be taught as well. We need to come together and gather and learn and hear the word preached. And we need to ourselves sit down and study and learn from God. We need to go to the source. But so do our families. And this isn't as popular today, I don't think, but the main way throughout really the history of the church that this was done was through family worship. Now, this was the practice of sitting with, opening the Bible, reading it as a family, praying together, and believe it or not, singing together. And that seems really odd, but people had been doing it for generations and generations. And if you haven't done any of this, it may sound and kind of feel weird when you do it, but if we are to teach our children diligently, as it says, then this is the most natural way to do so. Because, again, as important as it is to live out life before them, that only puts the validity to what we are sitting and teaching. For someone to learn diligently, they must be taught diligently. And this is how we learn, and this is how we must pass on these truths. This is why we as a church have community groups to help you walk in your walk with the Lord. But the responsibility is ultimately on you to do it. And this is why we have kids programs because it's an attempt of the church to come alongside and, and help raise up the kids with you to help the parents. That's why we have youth group. That's why we have kids ministry. And there's a lot of good that these can do and that they can accomplish. But in the end, it's the parents who are responsible. It is you who are responsible for your own walk, not the church. This means we must take it seriously. We must preach the word of God to ourselves and we must preach the word of God to our families. Generational discipleship happens through living it out, through sitting and teaching it. And kids in that, your job is to read and to learn because again, God's word is for you. It is for you to 
read and learn and grow in. However, there's another aspect to this that we see in the remainder of this chapter. So this is a longer portion, but we're going to read 10 through 15 and then 20 through 25. So in Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, it says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you do not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. And it's already in verse 20. When your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, and he might, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive. For we are as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You see, not only must we walk in them and teach them, if we are to be serious about generational discipleship, we must remember and retell of the faithfulness of God. We must remember and retell of it. Israel had huge milestones worth noting. I mean, they had some of the best stories worth telling. Yet even these, as grand as they were, and as mighty as God worked in their midst, they must be retold and retold to every new generation, or else they will be forgotten. And you see, as you read through the Old Testament, that they were, that they did forget, and they did fall away time and time again, because they forgot. We must remember, and we must retell of the faithfulness of God. Taking this example, you know, if we have many earthly blessings and we forget the ways in which God has blessed us along the way and provided for us, then you will see it as the kingdom that you have built. You'll see it as the things that your hands have done, not as the goodness of God shed on you. And then this only compounds when we get to the next generation and they are not told not only of how God provided it, they then are separated from the knowledge of God altogether. And this is what happens from Israel. As one generation went slightly off, the next went slightly more, and the next slightly more. 
and pretty soon they were far from God, forgetting their history and the salvation through which God saved them. So once again, we see in this, it must start with us. Are you remembering the faithfulness of God in your life? Are you giving him praise and glory for what he has done and is doing? And are you then sharing it with those around you? When your son asks, in verse 20, why do you go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we do family worship? Why do we not do or watch or listen or say those things? Then you can say the God of Abraham and of Moses and of David, the God of your grandparents, the God of me, and now the God of you has commanded us to do so, to live this way. We are called to remember and recount the faithfulness of God throughout our lives. Neither my, my dad or my mom grew up in a Christian home. They didn't grow up going to church at all. Um, they met at a Denny's, and my dad got a date by lying about his age. And uh, later they were married, so it worked out. Um, to this day, my mom has always been a night owl. She stays up late. And at that time, my dad was working night shifts. So being a new family, my mom was up um, with their first child and um, on one of those nights, she randomly was watching TV and turned it to a Billy Graham channel. And she heard the gospel preached. And that night in their home, Jesus captured her heart and she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And later she started going to church and it took two years before my dad would finally oblige. And at the end of the football season, he finally said, okay, I'll come with you. There's nothing to do on Sunday. And it wasn't long before he too put his faith in Jesus and, and believed. And at that point, they were all in. The gospel had entered their home and was being preached. And not long after that, my grandparents on my mom's side saw the difference and started coming to church and were saved and not long after that, my grandma on my dad's side started coming to church and was saved and later even baptized by him. See, the gospel had entered, entered their home. It took root. It permeated it with its goodness. And once it did, it spread and did its work throughout generations. And this is, you know, this is my story and the legacy that I get to have and retell and as cool as it is, it's not shocking. This is the way God works. This is the way the gospel works. This shouldn't be a surprise. Now, it doesn't happen every time like this, but we see it often does. My parents were simply faithful to live out the gospel in their lives once they had received it and to teach it and to pass it on. And now 10 kids and 13 grandkids later, there are multiple generations of believers. You know, we always joke that at this rate, they could have 100 grandkids and 1,000 a, a great-grandkids. What else could you possibly do with your life, in your life, that could affect so many people in just a few short generations? 
That is a legacy that can't be spent. That is an, an inheritance that you can pass on that will not fade, that is not easily forgotten when taught diligently. It's worth more than anything. Its impact is greater than anything. It's the mustard seed of the kingdom that's small when planted, just a single night, and then it grows, and soon it, it grows into a full tree to you, your sons, and your sons' sons. And it's all glory to God for what he has done. This idea, the idea isn't to restart with a new wave of church and Christianity every generation. We want to be building on something that is lasting. We want to be doing that as individuals, as families, but we also want to be doing that as a church. We want to pass down truth through ages. And that's why we value having a church of multiple generations. We don't want a church of all the same people, all the same age. We want to build something together and worship and praise God together as his people, as the family of God. Psalm 145, 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We want to commend the goodness of God and declare it. So kids, listen and remember. Because these promises, God's promises are for you, for your good as well. And the first and foremost blessing that we want to pass on and not neglect is obviously the salvation that we find in Jesus, is it not? Because we aren't saved for ourselves. Your salvation isn't for you alone. It's meant to bless those who curse you, and it's meant to be a blessing to your neighbor. It is a grace to you, but it's also a grace to your family, it's a grace to everyone who you come in contact with. Let that actually be a grace to them. Don't forget the goodness of your Savior. That is the ultimate blessing, the goodness of God in your life, saving you, allowing you to know truth, to live in truth, to see God's faithfulness throughout your life, and then to praise it, note it, and share it. How, like the exodus of Egypt, this mighty story that Israel had to pass on, how like that he has saved you from the slavery of sin and led you to a land far greater than any before it. And the warning here is obviously in forgetting. We see that in verse 15. Because the Lord, your God, is in your midst he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord, your God, be kindled against you. He destroys you from the face of the earth. When we forget what God has done and don't live it out and don't diligently teach it and pass it on and share it, the next generation doesn't know all that he has done. We need to have a greater vision than ourselves. 
We need to look further than ourselves. Because ultimately, what if, Je- what if Jesus doesn't come in your lifetime? What if he doesn't come in your kid's lifetime? What if he doesn't come for a millennium? Do we have a category and a place for that in our mindset and our lifestyle? What can we do today that could be a blessing to those immediately around us, but also for those to come? By building something that lasts, by passing on that which does not fade. This is what we see in verses 24 to 25. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do his commandments. It is for our good, and it will be for our righteousness if we do this. This is the word of God given to us. Jesus coming in the flesh as our Lord and Savior, making much of this is worth more than anything else you can do for your family, anything else you can build and pass on. His goodness, his righteousness for all generations. We want to live in that. We want to diligently teach that. We want to remember it, and we want to pass it on. So if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, if you simply didn't have discipleship, if you haven't been leading your family or your own life in the way that you should, it's okay because we have a God of new beginnings. We have a God who doesn't need more than one moment, one generation, to make a lasting difference for many to come. So let's build our lives on this. Let's build our lives on the word of God for a future and an inheritance worthy of the work that will change not only your life, but those to come after you as well to a thousand generations. Let's pray.